Welcome to the Elevate Effect podcast, where we give you the resources to take you from workloads to workflows. I'm your host, Courtney. I'm an online systems educator for coaches. Fueled by cold brew and a love for watching endless reruns of Friends, I'm here to give you the tools and the support you need to scale your business and take back charge of your life and your time. So pour yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and let's do the damn thing. Okay, everybody, I am so excited for our guest today. We have Amanda Colby joining us. She is a business coach and educator and actually one of my personal friends. So I'm really excited to have her on the episode today because I have actually got to not only work with Amanda, but we have got to meet in person before, which I feel like in this space um, doesn't get to happen as often as we would like it to. So I'm really excited to have her on the episode and talk to you guys about systems from a, a sales and business coaching perspective. And Amanda, she really helps entrepreneurs walk away from their corporate jobs and live a lifestyle based on what they define success to look like. So I'm really excited for Amanda to be coming in and speaking to you guys. So Amanda, I'm so excited to have you. Um, If you just want to go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know about what you do and how you got started and give us a little bit of background on your story. Yes. I just am so excited to be here. I know we have you and I, while we are in different arenas, like have same brain functions as far as like love for systems. So I feel like this is going to be such a good episode. So yeah. So for those that don't know me, um, like she said, my name is Amanda Colby. So I am currently a business coach, um, but I actually started out as a web designer. So I've had, you know, a multi-tiered entrepreneurship journey, but kind of the quick and fast version of my story is um, I'm definitely like that type A. I followed all the rules, all of that, you know, so I got a job right out of university doing something super random, um, it sales. And I kind of started to grow very quickly in that role and essentially got to like this point I was making a lot of money, got promoted fast. And it was almost just like, it hit me of like, this can't be it. Like I've achieved like things in very fast that people work their lives for. I was like, this can't be it. So I essentially quit that job. The only thing I knew was I wanted to live abroad, which for me was really important. And I wanted to work for myself. I wanted to say, if I work harder, I want to make more money. Um, that was literally all I knew. So anyway, sold all my things, moved to Thailand, figured it out, took a little while to figure it out, but I launched a design business. And after I kind of grew that, I ended up pivoting into coaching. So since then we've grown a seven figure coaching company in a little over two years. And we primarily focus on helping a lot of new entrepreneurs start and scale an online business with one of our signature programs. And then I have some more, you know, private ways in which I work with some higher level entrepreneurs as well. That's amazing. Yeah. I always love hearing everybody's stories because I feel like we all kind of have similar backgrounds in terms of just not really feeling fulfilled in what we're doing. Right. I mean, I know that was like what happened for me. I was in this spot in my job. I'm like, okay, is this it? Is this seriously all my life boils down to is like sitting at this desk day to day, like doing the same thing over and over again, you know, this is not fulfilling. And that's exactly what will like lit the fire under my butt to, you know, get out and start my own business because it's just not what felt like aligned or good for me. Or just like, I just didn't want to be spending, you know, my life doing something where I just wasn't feeling like 
I was passionate about what I was doing or fulfilled in general. So I always love hearing everybody's stories. And obviously, like you mentioned, you and I are very similar. You're talking about your little, you know, type A and like very organized and, you know, systems oriented. And so another reason I'm really excited to have this podcast episode because we do think so similarly. And I know, you know, that part of your work and helping entrepreneurs, you know, really helps them find the confidence to walk away from their corporate jobs. And it's to help them with systems and strategies and really kind of like how to develop their business. And so what are some of your top tips on, you know, maybe your favorite or necessary systems business owners need to actually implement that confidently? Yeah. So for those that have kind of picked up, I'm all about freedom. I'm all about freedom lifestyle. For me, that looks like travel, but obviously that doesn't have to look that way. And so that's one reason, not only do I enjoy, you know, systems in that stuff, but to be honest, I could not live my version of success of traveling and being in time zones and this and that without systems. I mean, like if you guys could see me on video right now, like my eyes are bugging out of my head, like of how important these are. And I think when everyone gets into entrepreneurship, you end up doing all of the things, right? You're a one woman show. And to be honest, you can outsource, you know, some things that's a big helpful thing, but you have to put systems and processes in place, even to empower the people that you're hiring because you're the conductor, right? Like you're the CEO with the vision and whatnot. So a couple tips, as far as what systems I think are most important, I think you have to have a heart of the business. Like that would be the very first thing I would say, because systems and processes isn't about making things uber complicated, which I've actually, I've done before. (laughs) Um, But you have to have a heart of the business as far as where are people coming every day? Where is everyone communicating? Um, Where are all your projects outlined? Where is the hub of where people can find things and of where you're being able to like share your thoughts and also record what's happening so that you stop reinventing the wheel every time you make an Instagram post or do a launch or do this, right? To be able to scale, you've got to have a core place that's organized so you're not the only one that knows how to do everything. So there's obviously, I think a lot of things that fall under that umbrella, but I would say number one, which I know you're a fan of too, like ClickUp is just, oh my God, you guys, if you don't have ClickUp, like it is the heart and soul like of our business. It's where we keep track of everything. And I would say additionally to that, there's so many important systems, but I think SOPs, while they might not be the sexiest thing in the world, they're required for every facet of the business. And it wasn't until we fully built out like SOPs and really got a robust process with that, that I was able to hand stuff off, like in a whole new level to team members. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing too. And, you know, even if you're a solopreneur right now and you don't have a team, you're actually in the perfect place to start implementing these things. Because typically when we work with people, we're seeing them in two different spots, right? It's either they started a business, it scaled really quickly or was successful really quickly and it scaled without systems. And so we've reached this like plateau, right? Whether it's like we've hit an income ceiling or we need to hire, but we can't hire because we don't have systems in place or processes to give somebody that we want to hire, or we're just maybe not as prone to want to use systems. And so when we first start our business, we do it without it. And so, you know, from a systems and processes perspective, even if you are a solopreneur, those things are to be so, so important for you just from being able to maintain your workload. And if you get into a position where you are ready to hire, typically that happens pretty quickly. You kind of get in a position where you're like, okay, I definitely need to hire and you don't want to hire or onboard somebody into a chaotic environment. And so prepping these things ahead of time um, and really doing your due diligence to yourself and your training your business, like a business, I think is going to be key in making sure that you can, when you are ready to hire successfully do so. Yeah. And one thing that just kind of came to mind that I hear a lot, and I know 
I'm sure you can echo this as we're talking about this, like you pointed out, okay, you're a solopreneur, like you are in the perfect place to start doing this. And if you're not a solopreneur, definitely should be doing this too. But I think so many people get stuck at that stage because it takes longer to record what you're doing or map out the process while you're doing it or teach someone else how to do it. And so we almost get stuck in this vicious cycle of, well, it's just easier if I do it. It's just faster if I do it. And you cannot scale that way. No. Yeah. I was actually literally just talking to somebody this morning. She mentioned she was wanting to pivot her business um, in January towards more of an agency model. And I was like, Hey, you're in the perfect spot now to go ahead and start tackling these systems and processes and SOPs and things that you would need to start documenting in order to successfully pivot to an agency. So like good thing, like you're coming to me now, we're having this conversation because you need to be able to have that time to prep. Because like you said, it's a lot of upfront work typically, but it pays back tenfold in the end, because then you can just successfully delegate when you're ready to 100%. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, I think something that really prevents a lot of people from starting their own business is fear, obviously, and fear of the unknown of, you know, what's going to happen. I know that was a big thing for me. Um, when I first started my business and I being very type a myself, I wanted like tangible steps, right? I was like, okay, if I'm going to start my business, I'm terrified. You know, what are the steps I need to take to start my business and get things rolling? Right. And so for me, I know stability was a big thing. I was scared about, you know, I was leaving a nine to five and my, you know, cushiony corporate salary, right. And my 401k and my health insurance and all these things that I was like, okay, this is, this is terrifying. And so when I first started, I had to kind of try to remove the emotion from it and say, okay, you know, what are the steps I can take to not feel scared about these things? So obviously it's like, okay, I can source my own health insurance. I can create an SCP or a 401k for myself. And so what do you think are some actionable steps that people can take to just begin or when they're just getting ready to leave, maybe be out of their nine to five and start into maybe their own side hustle or working for themselves full time. Yeah. That's such a good question. So I would say one of the first action steps to take that will then like open up the other couple things that I will say is you need to set some boundaries because when you're in the beginning, you're so lost. And a lot of that fear starts coming in because you're probably like consuming all this content, downloading all these freebies, and you're most likely overloading and overwhelming yourself and actually making it harder to think. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. I'm going to like tell you very, very simple steps from there, but that's like a little precursor. There is set some boundaries on all this stuff you're letting in and consuming. So I would say the very first thing you're going to need is something to offer, right? Like if you're a service-based entrepreneur, I know this might seem very obvious, but you need to get crystal clear on just one offer. Don't overdo it. Don't overcomplicate it. Just say, what is something I can offer right now? Get yourself a later list. I'm all about the simplicity of a now and a later list because it feels like I don't have to deal with all of it right now. So get yourself an offer. And I would say the second most important thing is visibility. If no one knows you exist, no one can buy from you. And you're going to have to be okay with showing up when no one's listening, when no one's reading, when, when, it, when it feels like it's just you. But guess what? If you show up confidently and consistently like that, people are going to start to pay attention. But it's going to be that persistence in the beginning and not letting that get you down because it's a long-term game. It's not like, hey, I'm here to make a quick buck. That would be the first two biggest action steps. I could give more, but like simplicity sake, I'd say that's first. 
Yeah. And I think that's good. Those are perfect places to start because again, those are two things I even personally struggle with, you know, four years ago when I first got started, I was digesting literally everything. I was consumed with learning because I was so miserable at my nine to five. And I was like, I need to know all the things so I can get out of here as fast as I can. And so I was trying to learn and do everything. And that was very overwhelming because then I got to a point where like, okay, I have all of this knowledge in my head, but what do I do with it? And like I said, being type a, I want steps to take, right. I'm like, what does starting my own business look like step-by-step. And I got to this point where I just had so much in my head. I'm like, I don't even know where to begin. And then was the second thing that you mentioned was the visibility and showing up even in a time where there's probably nobody to really show up to was also really hard for me. Number one, just because I honestly, I hate being on social media, like going on talking on stories. And honestly, four years ago, that wasn't really a thing. It was just static posts. And so that wasn't that bad, right? It wasn't terrible, but I, I am so uncomfortable with marketing myself. Like that was one thing that I just, it felt weird for me. It just didn't feel natural. And so I really, really struggled with that. And obviously when I had an Instagram account of, you know, 97 followers, I didn't feel like I was really doing anything with that. So I think those are the perfect two places to start because like I said, that's exactly where I felt like I was struggling. Um, and I think also one thing is building a network, right? I think that was something that really, really helped me. I got comfortable with like reaching out and talking to people and asking questions, not about like, Hey, do you want to work with me? I was like reaching out to people that did what I wanted to do. And I was, you know, looking for, you know, friends in the space and mentors and people that I could connect with in the industry I wanted to be in, because it is such a foreign concept to people outside of this industry, what we're doing. And (laughs) I will never forget having that conversation, even, you know, with my family or some of my friends, when I was like, Hey, yeah, I'm leaving my nine to five to go work for myself, to go be an OBM. And they're like, excuse me, what, (laughs) you know, what are you doing? You know, I think for the longest time, some of my family members were still saying, I think she designs websites for a living. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) not exactly. But close. close, but not really close. <laughs> but I think that is another thing too, is when you're working remotely, it can be isolating in this industry. If, if you're only surrounding yourself with people that are outside of this space, because it's not that they don't get it or don't want to get it. It's just really hard to be able to, you know, have those conversations maybe when you're struggling or, I mean, like I was getting stuck and I was just like, I don't know who to talk to about this because nobody understands what I'm trying to go through right now or what I am going through. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think from what you were saying, like there's a difference between learning knowledge versus the other type of, I'm going to call it knowledge, but like support that you need. So yes, you need to learn, you know, some basics of how to run a business or how to do this, right. You've probably never done it before, but at a certain point too, it can be harmful. Like we were kind of talking about before to keep learning before executing. And typically in order to execute, we need some confidence. You need a little guts to, to get out there and to do that. And in order to set yourself up for success, don't make it harder than it needs to be. Like you need people to lift you up and to be able to talk to you through the ups and downs. Like that's also just as valuable in combination with some of the basic knowledge that you need to start. And it's this partnership every step of the way. But I even find with higher level entrepreneurs, it's not even about the knowledge. Like there's no secrets at the top. Let me tell you, it's about strategizing. It's about having a sounding board of someone who like gets you and can give you perspective in a community is like super huge for me, especially as someone who travels. Like I don't even have a community of friends, like at home of any sort. And so that was something I wanted to create like through my own offers as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, what I was going to say, you know, like this sense of community and like having a network, I think it's just as important either at the beginning or like when you're seasoned into your business. But I feel like right now that's a piece that like keeps me going is like having, you know, like our group that we went to Atlanta with, you know, having people in our corner that we can just vent to and like talk through, you know, our struggles or like what we're going through. Because, um, you know, like you said, when you get to this point, like we've kind of consumed most of what there is to consume. And it's not to say that we're stopping learning by any means, you know, we're always going to learn. We're always going to continue to improve and try to find ways to grow. But I think it also just kind of gets to the point where like, you just need, like you said, a sounding board and people that you have in your corner when you need them. Yeah. It's so valuable. And if you don't know it now, you will soon. Yeah. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out very quickly. So I know that, you know, you not only serve entrepreneurs who are looking to start their business, but you're also serving people who are looking to scale their business. So do you feel like there's a really a big difference between, you know, implementing systems from a starting point versus people who are looking to scale, or do you feel like they kind of look pretty similar? How do you feel about that? Or what do you typically recommend? Maybe it's your top tips for teaching the difference between basics and more seasoned entrepreneurs. Ooh, I really like this question. I would say in the beginning, your time's always your most valuable thing, but right in the beginning, you're a solopreneur until you can start outsource, which should probably be sooner than you think. The only thing that you can do is really start to like shrink your time, like identify the areas where like you're spending, you know, too much time. And so some of the first systems that I feel like newer entrepreneurs and those scaling to six figures have to put in place and automate are things such as onboarding, like you can get by with that being manually. Absolutely. Like get, get yourself out there, but pretty quickly in order to not be working 24 seven, like onboarding is a big one. And just looking at micro things, I think when you're in the beginning is important. Like, can you schedule your Instagram posts? Very simple, saves you time. We shouldn't be doing that. Right. So like looking at those little pieces until you start to hire, if I had to simplify it, I think when you're beyond that, you're scaling to like multi six, seven figures, it becomes like this bigger ordeal. And not that one is more important than the other, but that you have to start thinking like a company, like you're no longer this solopreneur. That's just trying to save her time in order to like make a little more money to make the next hire. Like you're almost like stepping it in the beginning. When you're scaling to multi six figures, you're thinking of this company of like, okay, how do we want to launch? Like we've launched before, right? Like this is not new. How do we want to launch? What works? What doesn't work? How are we having a system to collect the data, to make educated decisions? And then how are we creating a rinse and repeat process for our launch that my team can go execute, right? How am I empowering other people to be thought leaders, like in my business, to make decisions inside of the business, not just be task rabbits that I like quickly showed a VA how to do X, Y, and Z in the beginning. And I mapped out a little process for, again, scheduling your Instagram post or something for her. It's so much more about like, how do you operate? How do you function bigger picture? In my opinion, than in the beginning, it's a little bit more individual tasks. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And I think that was where I struggled as an OB because I was struggling scaling because like, how do I train somebody to kind of be like a Jack or Jane of all trades, right? How do I train somebody, you know, the thought processes behind, okay. If somebody comes to me with a systems issue, how do I break down my thought process to solve that puzzle? Right. And that is so, so hard. And I think that's a piece to it. Like you just mentioned, I think one thing that we started to do on our team that was helpful, and it's not necessarily 
you know, from a systems perspective, it's more so just like empowering our team to be proactive and figure out issues, like how to figure out themselves um, was, you know, instead of just coming to me with a question, right. It's, you know, Hey, you're going to come to me with a question, present two to three solutions. And then which one do you think is going to be the best? So it's, you know, Hey court, this is something that just came up, you know, here's two to three solutions that I came up with or that I found. I think option number two is the best because of this reason. And so even starting out, like when you have a VA on your team, having them start doing that. Cause I think a lot of the times we just ask questions because we're scared that we don't know the right answer. And so it's going to empower us to get confident with the solutions we're providing, but it's also going to get our team to start thinking a little bit bigger picture than like you mentioned, like that task rabbit type of situation where I'm just checking tasks off. It's no, I'm not just implementing. I'm solution finding for bigger picture problems in the business, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And I think we've both almost like danced around this, but like to hit the nail on the head, I think the most difficult thing is basically getting your brain out of your head. It's like, once you have someone, you know, taking ownership of things like, Hey, you approve blog posts, right? I can't necessarily quantify each step of that. So once it's written and I have a marketing head reviewing all of that, they have to learn how I think they have to learn my boundaries, my vision, what aligns with that, all these gray areas. And so one action step for y'all here, if you are scaling your team in this way, I think it's super simple, but having people take action and then giving feedback is what I found be the most efficient part of that is like, yes, let's have an initial meeting or SOP of like, Hey, here's how this is done. But then I just encourage people go dive in, bring it back to me so I can give feedback and you're going to hear my thought process and see the nuances of why I would change what I would change. Does that make sense? Yep. That makes total sense. And that's a lot of what I'll do too. Like if I'm having, you know, maybe a team member help support on drafting a training or like something that we're going to do with our community, I'll have them do the first iteration of it. And then I'll go through and review it and give my feedback on, okay, these are the things I changed and why. So that they can, like you said, start to kind of get in my head as far as like what my thought process is. So for next time, they're a little bit more clear and it just, the more that you do it, the more clear and clear it becomes for them. And then the less feedback is needed. Exactly. Got to be a little patient though. Yes, it, it, it is. A, it is not a one and done thing. That's for sure. It is something that you kind of have to go in, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Oh, it's just so much easier to do it myself, which easier, quicker. Yes. Long-term solution. No. Right. Like it's just not going to work. And so you do have to go into this knowing that, okay, this is going to take a little upfront time, but again, it's going to pay off down the line. Absolutely. Hey there, quick interruption. I wanted to share with you guys all about my course, Elevate, the coach approach to elevated systems. As a business coach, your focus is on your clients, right? But what happens when messy systems are causing you overwhelm and inability to focus on the big picture? That's where we come in. Elevate provides you the strategy and tools to implement scalable systems in your business without the overwhelm. We've created a course that contains a clear cut and concise path for coaches to follow to elevate their systems as their business grows. With 10 modules of content, live Q and A's, guest expert trainings, and access to a supportive community for six months, your business will go from overwhelmed and over it to organized and killing it. All you have to do is go to the course link below in the show notes and sign up. It's as easy as that. We have to get back to the show now, but I can't wait to see you guys in the course. So I know I personally mentioned, you know, sales does not come naturally to me. Right. And you are, you know, I think the sales queen in terms of how you show up online, um, in a very authentic way, like you make sales, not feel yucky, if that makes sense. Because I think that's where I struggle is like every time I pop on, I'm like, 
I don't want to talk about anything sales related because I'm so nervous about how it's going to come across as potentially slimy or like, Hey, work with me. Right. Like it doesn't, it's not something that comes naturally. And as again, like a type a person, do you feel like, and you being one as well, that there is a way to systemize sales in a way that still feels authentic. I mean, how do you go about that? Because I know again, like your brain is very similar to mine. And so what would you say is a good way to kind of approach sales systems in an authentic capacity? So I think this is going to look a little different depending on how you're selling. And what I mean by that is you sell differently on different platforms, right? So sales is about connecting with people. It's about communicating with people, getting people to see eye to eye. When people can see eye to eye with you from your perspective, it's a no brainer. Then if they're seeing that same perspective, it's a no brainer to them too, right? So for example, we're probably selling in the DMs, you know, on stories, maybe you're selling in a funnel. So there might be a little bit different processes for each of these But I think what is most helpful is looking almost at the sales system as a customer journey. And what I mean by this is not so much like offer A, offer B, offer C, you know, an Ascension model here. What I mean is where does someone come to you on average, right? You know, people are going to come at all different points, but when they come to you, what's the gap that you need to fill and start identifying this, right? So if they don't even realize they have a problem, right? You can be talking all day long. You need ClickUp, you need ClickUp, you need ClickUp, right? But if they don't see ClickUp as like something relevant to them, they're tuning you out, not because they don't want to hear you, but because you're not calling their name, they haven't identified that as like something they need to pay attention to. So I think part of this is looking at how do we mentally push people along and you can almost create a process for this one by identifying kind of the milestones that people typically mentally have to go through in order to see your offer as a no brainer. They have to understand this. They have to know this. Maybe they have to do something before they're ready for your offer. So in a, in a process perspective, this could almost be like mapped out on a timeline. And then we're able to approach each of those steps of the timeline from different ways, right? You can do mini trainings, you can do a webinar, like it might be in the DMs conversation here. And then I think what's helpful is we're very used to systems being like X, Y, and Z. It's very black and white and sales are not black and white, no matter how much you systematize process, all of that. So it's about understanding a typical path. It's about having a direction and an intention but learning how to be adaptable, learning how to say, okay, great. My goal is to nurture people. What is my process for nurturing people? But the, what I'm saying, you have to learn how to adapt to what they're saying. It's a dance, right? Sales is a dance. You have to work with them because I think when people feel slimy is almost when you over systematize it, when you're like, okay, I have to do ABC. And it's like, no, We want to map it out. We want to be intentional, but we want to pivot along the way. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And I'm like laughing in my head because I think that's why I struggle because I am so systems oriented and I want it to be black and white, but it can't be. And so it's like, I'm trying to fit a a round peg into a square hole, right? It just doesn't work or square peg into a round hole, whatever the situation, whatever that phrase is. (laughs) Um, But I think that's exactly how I feel. And I know one time somebody said to me, she said, Courtney, you know, whenever you plan a trip, right? If like, let's say I'm going to go to Hawaii, right? I don't care about the little steps I take to plan my trip to get to Hawaii. I care about what I'm going to do when I'm there. Right. And so like approaching systems or like speaking to your audience for a way it's like, they don't care about the nitty gritty stuff in between. Like they don't want to know about 
what airline they're booking with or anything like that. They want to know about the stuff on the other side. What's my transformation, right? Here's where I'm stuck. What does my life look like after? And like kind of using that as a tactic to get inside their head in terms of, you know, how to communicate to your audience from a sales perspective. Right. And that's what makes sales so complex too, is you're communicating to very different types of people at very different stages of almost this timeline. Like if we're looking at things visually and people make decisions, they're different decision makers, right? Different purchasing behaviors. And so one thing that you can almost, it's not quite a process, but if, if you want to kind of think about this in a more systematic way of like put in some boxes, like different types of buyers. And I mean, this could be a whole nother episode, so I won't go to the nitty gritty, but like different types of buyers. And then you can look at, okay, if you need some like more action steps here, well, how do I approach an analytical buyer? How do I approach someone? How do I identify someone who keeps asking me kind of these nitty gritty questions? Because if you were coming to me, I don't know, to buy a course or something, and I've known you for a little while, let's say, right. So I kind of get a vibe of how you operate. If I come at you in like this very emotional, like, Hey, you got two seconds, make a decision, like go. I'm assuming that like that probably wouldn't work very well for you. Even if I was excited and energetic and you were feeding off of it, like you're like, no, wait, wait a minute here. Like, I, I just want to see what's included and then I'm going to make my decision and, and I'm going to be good. Right. So I think that's another way where sometimes people get these crossed wires with sales. It's not that you were being sleazy. It's that you weren't speaking their language in order to get the result that you want. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think, like I said, because I think so black and white, it's hard for me to like step into that gray area of like getting into other people's heads and kind of seeing like how other people would potentially be thinking from, you know, that perspective and stuff too. So, cause like I said, you do come across, you know, very authentically, you know, on your stories and social media and stuff in general. Um, and it just seems to come so naturally and easy to you. Right. Um, and I know that's probably a big struggle or pain point for a lot of us in this space is how to show up in an authentic way that feels good for all of us to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was my last question for you. But before we sign off, I always like to do some fun rapid fire questions, which I think will be fun for you. So first question is what is your favorite part about being a business owner? Mm, I think the creative freedom when I say freedom, you know, not like living in a fun place, but for me, like what gets so exciting is when I come up with a new idea and like, I get to like, there's a web page for it and the graphic and we create the curriculum and you know, you get to sell it and put it out there. Like just like the creative dynamic that you get to create for lack of being redundant. Um, to me is just like super energizing. Yeah. Kind of like when we were stuck, you know, back in our nine to fives, it was the same thing every single day over and over again, rinse and repeat. And so when you're completely breaking free of that and like you get to decide what that looks like and your day can be as creative or, you know, lack thereof, if you don't want it to be as you want it to. So, yeah. Okay. What is your favorite meal? Like if you had a last meal, what would it be? Mm, I think it would be uh Thai green curry, Thai green curry. Mm -hmm. I just had my husband actually try yellow curry for the first time last week. Cause that's my favorite. I love yellow curry. Mm. And he's like, I was like, I need you to taste this so that I know next time we order our food, I can order this in bulk and it's not going to go to waste if I can't eat it all. <laughs> did he like it? He did. He loved it. So okay. it, it was a success. Thank goodness. I've tried to get Zach to like curry. Cause he's not a big fan on it. And I always want to like order multiple dishes so we can like share all of them. And he, he doesn't like it. So it's failed. <laughs> Just can't get on board with it. Um, okay. So and this is probably gonna be a really hard question for you, but what is your favorite place you've traveled to? Oh. If you can't name one, maybe like your top three. 
Okay. Yeah. This is always like the worst question to ask me. Um, cause I don't even think I mentioned it before, but I travel full time. I've been traveling around the world for three years. Um, so I typically say Thailand is my favorite, but you can't compare apples and oranges. So for me, Thailand just has like an emotional connection. I just love the people. My favorite in the world is Thai food. I could eat it for every meal every day. Um, so I'd say Thailand, I typically also give a European answer and I would say right now, my favorite European place is Italy. So I'm going to give you two. Yeah. I know we were just like kind of talking about that before we started recording the episode. She's um, at the time of recording, Amanda is in Rome right now. So she is seeing all these amazing Instagram stories of all the beautiful architecture and the food. I mean, I love the food in Rome or just in Italy in general. Um, So I, yeah, I've just been living vicariously through Amanda the past couple of days. So much pizza and pasta. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's like the best, the absolute best. It's, and I think that's like my favorite part about Italy and everything like food tastes like food in Italy, you know, like, and you can actually taste ingredients, you know, like in the United States, sometimes it's just like, it, you just don't taste that. And you taste the ingredients and in, when you're eating food in Italy. Okay. So, and this is also, I think it's a hard question for entrepreneurs in general, because we get so caught up in our businesses, but when you're not working, how do you like to spend your time? I hate this question. Um, I know, I knew you were going <laughs> to, um, okay. So I love working out, but I feel like that's like a cop-out answer because I don't know, like everyone, everyone works out or whatnot, but I was a fitness instructor for five years. So like, I genuinely just really enjoy like creating workouts and like improving your strength, et cetera. Um, but I'm going to cheat and say like, my answer is travel. And by that, I mean, like quite literally, like when I'm not working because I travel full time, like my Saturday is taking a walking tour of a city. So that really is genuinely like my hobby and and what I do every weekend. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, heck, if I mean, when I was traveling, that's what I would have said too, right? Because it's not about the travel. It's just like about immersing yourself in a culture. And that to me is like a hobby. That's an extracurricular, right? That is, yeah. that is something that is so, so enjoyable for me. So I would probably answer that the same if I was in your spot. <laughs> Um, okay. So last question is what was your dream job as a kid? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? This is so good. Oh my God. I love that you do these at the end of the episode. Okay. (laughs) So when I was very little, it was a vet. Um, I had my own practice vet clinic. I had a spreadsheet of all the pets that came in every day. It was type A from day one. I found a worm on the sidewalk. I brought him in for exploratory surgery. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. My mom was like, Oh my God, too many animals coming home. Yeah. Um, and then as I got a little older, my, the main thing I wanted to be was an FBI agent just cause I wanted to jump out of airplanes. So, you know, a little bit of everything. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I always, uh, everyone always makes fun of me when I answer this question because I wanted to be Indiana Jones. Like that's who I wanted to be when I grew up. Oh my God. I remember that. Yeah. I think I told you that one time I was like, I wanted to be Indiana Jones so bad. I wanted to go on adventures and go treasure hunting and be like an archeologist. And I love history. And so it was like, I got to combine adventure and travel with history all in one thing. And it's the dream. It, it, I mean, it really is. It would be the dream for me. And like, I also was like really obsessed with Jurassic park because you know, got to like dig up dinosaur bones and stuff like that. I'm just like, I just want some type of job where I can just go do all this stuff for fun. And so yeah, Indiana Jones seemed like the best fit for me at the time, but apparently that didn't happen for me. So, <laughs> well, once little baby comes into the world, and gets a little older, you can come join me and Zach and live a little Indiana Jones life out here. Just there we traveling. go. <laughs> 
exactly. We'll come do do some Indiana Jones adventure. We'll babysit for the day. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, okay. Well, Amanda, it was so amazing and such a fun episode to record with you. I, like I said, I was really excited to have you come on and talk um, just because like I said, we think so similarly. And so I really appreciate you coming on. So if people want to learn more about how to get in contact with you or what you do, where should we go? How should we go find you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's pretty easy once you know how to spell my name, cause it's the same everywhere. But, um, I would say probably find me on Instagram. It's at Amanda Colby Colby's K O L B Y E. My website also, you know, amandacolby.com. I have YouTube podcast. It's all pretty much under Amanda Colby. Um, and if you're looking to work with me, like check Instagram, cause I always have like fun trainings that we're doing and free resources and, and all of that. Um, but definitely head like to my YouTube and my podcast is that's going to have a lot of like really good things to kind of sink your teeth into to get started. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Like I said, such a fun episode. Um, and I will see you guys next week for our next episode. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Elevate Effect podcast. If you liked what you heard, share the episode with your best friend, team member, or even your dog. If you have a minute, leave a review below or DM me on Instagram to let me know what you want to hear on the podcast next. Thanks again, and I can't wait to see you next week.